You are listening to the Point Harbor Church Podcast. Experience a place where you can grow in your faith, connect with others, and discover the story God has for your life. For more resources, visit us online at pointharbor.com. Well, good morning. Hey, grab your Bibles for me and turn to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to be there this morning. Um, Super excited about that. We've been in this series um, called Bedrock. We're we're moving through the book of Genesis. um, and, And what I... When I've read the book of Genesis, like really quickly in one clip, um, it, it's kind of interesting what the book of Genesis shows us. Because I believe what it shows us is the human race figuring out how we're going to live on this earth that we have damaged because of our own sin. You see humanity kind of languishing through our relationship with each other. You see us kind of navigating our relationship with God. And you see us trying to figure out where our place is on this earth because humanity was not designed to live in sin. Yet, last week we learned in Genesis chapter 3 that despite our not being designed for it, we've chosen sin over what it is that God has had for us. Adam and Eve chose sin. They chose it. And so, because of that sin, the rest of humanity has to live with the consequences of that sin. And that brings us to Genesis chapter 4. And and this morning, what is, is, I think, really important is is that Genesis chapter 4 shows us how sin works. You see, when Adam and Eve encountered sin for the first time, they were kind of taken off guard almost. Like Eve had never been tempted before. We saw the serpent tempting Eve and her response to that was a response of someone who's doing this for the first time, right? She was shaky with it. She gave into it quickly. So as humanity, God in his grace kind of shows us in Genesis chapter 4 how sin works. He shows us the warning signs. Like we know, like, and if you've got open Genesis chapter 4 and you even, you know your Bible at all, you know that the next story after the fall is, is Cain killing Abel. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And, and, and Cain didn't just wake up one morning and haul off and end his brother's life. There were warning signs. So what we can do as Christians in the 21st century America, we can take a look at Genesis chapter 4. We can know how sin works. We can know the warning signs. We can know how we can avoid sin. And we can be reminded that our sin has grave consequences. So many times we think that when we sin, the only one who is going to be affected is us. And we are willing to pay that price so we can enjoy the sin that we've chosen. Well, church, I'm I'm here to tell you that that is a lie from Satan himself. Every time we do less than what God has for us, every time time we, we stray off the reservation, so to speak, every time we don't meet the standard, there are more consequences and more people are affected than we could ever Imagine. And Scripture is really clear with that. And further, we're going to have a discussion this morning about how our sin affects God's plan. And how other people's sin against us impacts the promises that God has made us. So what we're going to do is, 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 is we're going to read... Well, first we're going to pray, and then we're going to read Genesis chapter 4 together. I'm really excited about what God has for us. Um, Church, would you um, go to the Lord with me in prayer this morning? God, I I love you, and, 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 and we need you now. Lord, I pray that you would totally empty me of myself. God, take every thought captive. Lord, show us what you have for us in Genesis chapter 4. God, your word is good, and we need it, and I believe, God, that our church and this nation is desperate for the truth found in this chapter. Lord, bless this time together. We love you. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Genesis chapter 4. 
Let's read it together. We're going to be going through most of chapter 4, but for right now, we're going to stop at verse 7. So Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and born Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. This is so cool, right? Because remember, God, we talked about this last week, God made Eve a promise that her children were going to be the way that God was going to make sure that healing came to the world. So Eve cut off from the Garden of Eden, right? Her relationship with God changed forever. She gets this, this promise comes true. In her eyes, she sees Cain is like, yes, God has arrived. Our salvation is near. And then it goes on to say, and again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but... For Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Let's tuck right in. On your handouts, first point is this. Sin is always waiting. Sin is always waiting, right? Let's go in to who Cain is right now. He is a man with a job, Right? We know that he has a job because he was a worker of the field, right? We have this man with a job, which in today's world, like that's a pretty, like that guy's got something going for him, right? He came from a Christian household, and we know that because as soon as he was born, the first thing that Eve did was praise the Lord for his being born. He came from a Christian house, and He knew enough of God to know that at the end of a season, because in verse 3 it says in the course of time, so at some point in time, some kind of delineation of time, maybe it's the anniversary of creation, maybe it was a weekly thing, like on the Sabbath, the day that God reserved from creation for rest, we don't really know. But he, at the course of time, knew it to be proper to bring an offering to God. A Christian man with a job, doing what he thinks he's supposed to do, and he brings this offering to the Lord. And then God does not have regard for it. And you know what his response was? His response was anger in a fallen face. I, I actually, I don't love the ESV translation here because it says his face fell. Um, and I, I forget what it is. It might be NLT. But there is another translation where it says that his countenance fell. You ever show up to the office one day and like your best workmate is there and they just look miserable? Like, geez, what kind of fight did you have with your spouse this morning? That's how Cain looked. Cain not only had something going on in his heart, anger, but Cain was wearing the ugh on him. And God could see it. And then God issues him a warning. In verse 7, it says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. You see, at this point, you can tell that Cain, his heart, There's like his connection with God is not doing well. He gave this offering. The offering wasn't accepted by God. It wasn't good enough. 
And God issues him a warning when he sees his response. You see, Cain had the opportunity when God didn't accept that offering to try again. He had an opportunity to pray to the Lord, what do I need to do better? He had an opportunity to be introspective and ask himself the question, was this proper to bring to the Lord? Because it wasn't like he was totally in a vacuum. His younger brother figured it out. He didn't do any of those things. He got angry and he lived there. He lived in that anger and God issued him this warning found in verse 7. And what I think is really interesting is that in the beginning of verse 7, it says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? The antidote to his angry heart and to his fallen countenance and to his nest that was going on was for him to do well because God promised him that if he did well, he would be accepted. So church, do well be accepted. Here's the thing. This is not, this is not, this is not works-based salvation. Do not, for the love of all that is holy, hear me tell you, you need to do something to be saved. That is not what this passage is saying. Scripture is very clear. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, your heart is born again, you are regenerated, you are saved, and once you are saved, you are always saved. God brings you right into his sheep pen, and he does not let you out. You're, you're done. You're, you're sealed, you're stamped. You are the Lord's, and the Lord's is, and the Lord is yours. Like that is it. However, this warning here wasn't talking about salvation. This warning here was talking about the the sin that the Lord perceived beginning to grow in Cain's heart. You see, sin here is crouching at the door. We see it in verse 7, and God is saying, if you do well, you will be accepted. If you make proper offering to me, you will be accepted, and all of this will go away. But if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Church, we need to do well. What does doing well look like? It looks like putting God first. It looks like giving to Him what is due Him. This warning shows us that from the very moment we open our eyes, we could be victims of sin waiting to pounce on us. From the very moment, we, we in our house, the alarm clock in our room is one of those ones that's on, like on the other side of the room. So you have to get out of bed to turn the alarm clock off. And from the very moment that I saunter over there and like trip over something and, and like play with all of the, there's so many buttons on my alarm clock and I get the thing to stop. And we also, it's not, it doesn't just do like the radio. It also has this LED in it. And it slowly turns on so that your brain thinks that you've experienced the sunrise so that when you wake up, you're like more awake than not. And um, so it's, it's, there's a lot happening in the, in the bedroom. <laughs> like it's just, <laughs> so I get over there. And from the moment I start to walk over there, my eyes are open. I am in danger of allowing sin to pounce on me. Now, I, I think some of us don't, take that into consideration properly. I know that I am guilty of not taking that into consideration properly. I heard this thing on a youth pastor um, like podcast, and I told Pastor John, and he said he was probably going to use it, but, but I heard it first, so I think it fits here, so I'm going to use it, all right? Some of us, some of us are out here spiritual streaking. We put on the helmet of salvation, and that's it. And then we run around and we try to do life. Don't do that. Church, when you wake up in the morning, go to the Lord and ask him to make sure your heart is right. When you wake up in the morning, pray. It, I'm not saying you've got to wake up and do a full MacArthur Bible study. I'm saying you have to wake up 
And at least acknowledge the fact that the only reason you are awake is because God Almighty himself, thank him for that, and ask him that you would not do anything that would sully his name or yours. Tell the Lord that you don't like your job and ask him for help to do it in a way that would honor him. Tell the Lord that your kids are crazy and ask the Lord for help and strength and direction. Like we run around sometimes as Christians and we're like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. We have an entire Bible that gives us what to do next. And we have a God that wants to commune with us to tell us what to do next. And when we sin, we like, like how, well, how did that happen? Every single time I've made a bad choice, I know why it's happened. It's happened because my heart that is already sick with sin was allowed to get worse because I'm not going to my spiritual therapist daily, every morning, God himself, and asking him for help. I mean, like, my wife will tell me, like, when was the last time you spent time with Jesus? And then I'll get a little bit angry at her because she's right. (laughs) Do well. It's like our first defense against the attack of the enemy. Go to the Lord and worship. Tell him what he already knows. Ask him for help. Ask him to fix your heart. Do well. Be accepted. I think part of the reason that, that, that Cain was not accepted was because he had a heart condition going on. And we're going to talk about that for a moment in a moment. But go to the Lord be accepted, do well. Again, this is not a salvation thing. There's nothing you can do to be more saved. There's nothing you can do to be saved except for believe in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you on the cross. However, a little bit of righteous living goes a long way. Do well, be accepted. And then the end of verse 7, it says something really interesting that puts the responsibility on us Its desire is contrary to you, talking about sin, but you must rule over it. We have a responsibility to rule over sin. It is time, church, for Christians to take the bull by the horns, so to speak, and to rule over the things that want to rule over us. We can say no to sin. We are given examples in Scripture of people saying no to sin. My favorite example in Scripture of someone saying no to sin was Joseph, right? Joseph is doing his thing, and Potiphar's wife was like, hey, and then he ran. (laughs) He ran. He ran from the sin. It's our responsibility to rule over the thing that seeks to rule over us. Live there for a second, church. That means that as you go through life and certain things become bigger battlefields over other certain things, we need to make sure that we're doing the work to keep ourselves protected, putting on the full armor of God. Guys, if you and your wife are going through like either a rough patch or maybe everything's just busy and, and you haven't really maybe like had the time to be intimate in a while and, and, and that, that whole like thing is starting to become an issue for you, be really careful on the internet. Be really careful with what you watch. Be really careful with what you listen to. Ladies, same thing. Guys, you know if you've had a really, really bad day at work, when you come home, you're probably going to want to yell at your kids. Promise yourself you're not going to yell at your kids. Ask the Lord for strength, and then don't yell at your kids. If you know that you struggle with emotional eating, and you've had a long week, and all you want to do is just... I don't know, raid the cupboard. Do the work before you enter the battlefield. Eat healthy, fill your stomach with good nutritious food before you get home to the cupboard. And it's easy for us to dismiss overeating, but church, so many Christians, especially in America, go to the pantry before their Savior when their heart is sick. I being one of them. And that's something that's been hard, but I've done everything I can to give that to the Lord, and it's a daily struggle. But some of us are okay with losing that battle. It's just food. It's not that big a deal. 
When we don't eat well, our bodies don't work well. And when our bodies don't work well, our minds don't work well. And so many of us struggle with anxiety, right? And all we're giving our body to eat is garbage. And this isn't of like Atkins diet situation up here. All I'm trying to describe is it's all connected. It's all connected. So whatever is your battleground, know your battleground. Know if the battle is heating up in that battleground. And either, and either make sure you're wearing all the armor before you step onto that battlefield. Or you don't have to step on that battlefield. You, you really don't. If you know that watching TV is going to be an issue for you, you can, I don't know, read a book. You don't have to turn it on. Spend time with your kids. Complete the honey-do list. I don't care. Just don't do it. So many of us enter into these battlefields like, I'm wearing armor. She'll be right. But you won't be. You won't be. It is your responsibility to rule over sin. It is not someone else's responsibility to make sure you never enter into temptation. It is your responsibility to rule over sin. Yes, God helps us with temptation. Yes, God does not allow us to be tempted to the point where we can't say no, but it is still our responsibility to say no. Be like Joseph. Run from Potiphar's wife. The reason that we're here, the reason that we got to Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, was because of Genesis chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. If you take a look at, at, at Abel giving the firstborn and Cain giving the fruit of the ground, the, the object there is not for us to see that, that certain types of offerings are better than certain other types of offerings, you know, the, the lamb versus the fruit. And I, and I, and I think you, we have to be careful not to read too much into it, in, into trying to figure out, like, was, was Cain's offering better than, than Abel's? You know, Scripture does say that, that Abel's was of the firstborn, and, and the first was like, it was like, I'm giving you the first of it. This is, this is a big thing, and it, and it doesn't say that Cain did that. So yes, that's true. But I think something, to me, stuck out a little bit more than, than that in, in this passage, and that was Cain's heart. You see, when Cain was told that his offering wasn't good enough, his first emotion was anger and not repentance. His first emotion when God said, hey, bud, that's not good enough, was not, oh, my goodness, God, I'm, I'm sorry. How can I do better? It was, what do you mean? And he got like a mood about him. Our heart matters. Genesis 4, 5 says, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. His countenance fell. He looked miserable. Your heart matters. And you know what's really cool? God is faithful to fix your heart. When you go to him in worship, if your heart isn't work, like you're trying to do well, right? Like, okay, I heard what Tim said. I'm going to read my Bible on Monday morning. You read it and you feel like it doesn't work. Have you ever felt read your Bible and feel like it didn't work, right? And you're like, what does that even mean? What does it mean it didn't work? Like I understood what was on the page, but you, you just, you just eh. You can go to the Lord and say, God, fix my heart. You're allowed to do that. I encourage you to do that. Because doing well means making sure that your heart is okay. And we can go to God to make sure our heart is okay. So if you want to make sure your heart's okay, you want to do well, be accepted, go to God and go to him honestly and say, hey, I don't know what's going on in here, but it is sick with sin. God, I need your help to fix this. Because biblical prayer aligns our hearts with God. And the reason I say biblical is because biblical prayer points us to prayer that we mean. Prayer that we mean in our heart. Right now, Tucker, our son, loves praying for dinner. But when he prays for dinner, he's like, God, thank you for this food. Amen. Let's eat. <laughs> and, it, and, it's, and it's like, like, dude, come on, right? Like, when we sit down to pray for dinner, like, do we, do we mean it? And I'm not trying to be that guy, but like, just like, let's live here for a second. Like, did you thank God? Like, gro groceries are really expensive right now. Like, did you thank God for having enough money to buy this $4 egg? <laughs> did, you, 
did you, did you, did you thank, did you thank God for your car payment lettuce, right? Did, did, did you, did you, did you thank God for your spouse who you know works harder than you that came home and cooked this meal? Did you thank God for the house in which you were able to enjoy this meal together as a family? Did you? Is prayer something that we do because other people do it? Or is prayer something that we do because we want to really thank God? Church, let's pray like we mean it. God, I don't want to pray this morning, but I know I have to. He's big enough to hear that. And he can fix your heart. God, I'm angry at you right now because I did not, things did not go the way that I wanted them to. Or God, thank you for this food because it's going to fill our bellies, but I really wish that better ingredients weren't so expensive. <laughs> if you ever want to see an example in scripture of, of, God, of God fixing someone's heart through prayer, I really encourage you to read through the book of Habakkuk. He's a minor prophet. It's in the Old Testament. It is in there, yes. I know it's obscure, but it is in there. Habakkuk. He's a prophet, and, and basically what's happening is, is he goes to God and he's like, God, everything right now is miserable. And frankly, if you read Habakkuk chapter 1, you're like, is this guy talking about America today? Right? It, it, he's going through, and he's like, God, everything's miserable. Why aren't you fixing it? And God says, hang on, I am going to fix it. I'm going to have the Babylonians come and conquer Israel. And he's like, the Babylonians? Habakkuk's like, God, the Babylonians, are you kidding me? At least we like... At least we pretend to worship you. Those guys are pagans. And God's like, hey, hang on. I know better than you. I'm going to do these things, and it is going to suck. It is going to be miserable. You aren't going to like it, but it is going to be good for you and my kingdom and my people, and, and I'm going to do it. And then over the course of that time, Habakkuk gets to a point at the end of chapter 3, and he's like, you know what, God? I trust you. You're going to do this thing, and it's going to be good for us. And as you read Habakkuk chapter 3, you're almost like, is this guy excited about what's about to come? I mean, he's dreading it, but he's also like, I'm going to see God's handwork. His heart was changed in three chapters. All because of biblical prayer. It aligns our hearts with God. It gives us encouragement. It gives us chastisement where we need it. And it gives us guidance where we need it. We need, we need it. Biblical prayer means meaning it because, and we need it because, 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 because sin will attack. God warned Cain in chapter 4, verse 7, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And what's really cool about this is that God is using imagery that's the same as in Revelation where Jesus is knocking at the door waiting for us to let him in. And what you, you get this imagery of the door being the door to your heart. And what God is telling Cain is, is that if you do not do well, if you don't let me fix your heart, if we are not in right relationship with one another, sin is crouching at that door like a stray cat ready to jump into your heart as soon as you crack the door open. Cain, in verse 7, left from that meeting between him and God, and he went to his brother Abel, and he spoke to him, and verse 8 says, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And, and then Abel was dead. And, and I think for us to fully get the weight of that, we need to consider what it would have been like in the first family ever, if the firstborn son ever ended the life of the secondborn son, his brother, his playmate, his bro, his dude, the people that grew up together, killed him. And you're like, well, geez, how, how, how could that happen? How could a thing like that, that gruesome, happen? You ever seen something crazy on the news where some human did something most decidedly unhuman to somebody else? or another group of people, and then everyone 
is standing around on television asking themselves, well, how could this happen? I know how this could happen. And everyone is kind of just trying to figure out how humanity could do this one to another. Yet right here in Genesis chapter 4, we are told sin is crouching at the door. And it is our responsibility to rule over it. And Cain did not rule over it. He allowed it into the door of his heart and he killed his brother. Sin will attack. And the reason that that's important for us is because when we leave the door on Monday morning to go to work and we haven't had time to allow the Lord to change our heart or instead of praying on our way to work when we haven't had time um, to allow God to check our heart, we decide to, I don't know, listen to something else that doesn't point us in the direction of God. And, 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 and when we go and we don't handle the sin that is crouching at our door and we don't kick it off our doorstep, it will jump into our heart the moment the door is cracked open. The moment the door is cracked open. The moment the door is cracked open. If I had a dollar for every time my dog ran out of our house when the door was cracked open, I would have so many dollars. And our heart works the same. Sin is waiting for an opportunity. And we give sin that opportunity when we do not kick it off our doorstep. We must, church, kick it off our doorstep. And you know who helps us do that? The Lord. You know what's cool too is that like we get this imagery of Jesus standing at the door of our heart and knocking. Do you think Jesus is scared of that sin that's crouching there? Do you think when Jesus opens the door to walk in, he's going to let that sin in? Sin will attack. And that is really scary because it's true and because sin has consequences. This is a bonus one for parents. God gave Cain a consequence that fit the sin he committed. And it fit it perfectly. And so many of us parents, myself included, I'm very guilty of this, we dish out punishments because we're upset at our child and we want to hurt them. Not physically hurt them, but we want to hurt them emotionally We want them to feel the pain of their actions is probably a better way of saying it. And so we dish out that punishment with no idea or regard to how it's going to bring them closer to the Lord, but how it's going to affect them with the hope that maybe their heart will change and they won't do it again. Like, oh, you backtalked me? Well, guess who's not having a birthday party? You'll never do that again. Or, oh, you're home late from curfew? Well, I'm just going to take your phone. You're not, guess who doesn't have a phone anymore? You. And then what happens when we punish our children like that is what happens is, is we get to a place where these giant punishments start to inconvenience us. Because we want to have a birthday party for them. Birthday parties are awesome. We want them to have a phone. Life 360, the bomb, right? We want these things for them. When they have a car, that means that I'm not a chauffeur anymore. We want these things for them. We want them to be able to have fun and play video games. We get joy when our children experience happiness. So we get to a place where these punishments become inconvenient for us. And then if we're trying, we'll come up with some half-baked excuse as to why they're allowed to have that thing back. Or if we're feeling lazy that morning, we'll just give it back to them. And you know what that teaches our children? That teaches our children that all they have to do is wait for you to forget the sin they committed and then they get that thing back. What that doesn't do for our children is that doesn't teach them that they need to do better. That doesn't teach them that they need to do well, be accepted. It doesn't teach them that sin is crouching at their door. Let's look at how God did this because I think it's so important for us. So Cain took his brother, and he ended his life. And his blood spilled onto the ground. And Scripture doesn't expressly say that that Cain dug a grave and buried his brother, 
But if he did, that further points to the fact that then Cain took the energy that he should have been using to till the soil for crop, and he placed his brother into a hole, and the earth itself had to swallow his sin. So this is what God said to him. In verse 11, And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's, your brother's blood from your hand. Cain, in his sin, he ended a life and he spilt blood on the ground that God gave to him that was supposed to bring forward nutrients for him and his family. And Cain gave back to that ground the blood of his brother. If the blades of grass could talk, how could they even begin to express the horror that would have been the first murder of mankind? And they were brothers. I love my brother. I could not even imagine doing that. And yet I know how it happened because sin was allowed to keep its residence at the door of Cain's heart. This punishment fits the crime. You used to use this ground for nutrients. You've now used it to absorb your sin. You are no longer allowed to use this ground for yourself anymore. There was a timeline given. How many of us have given our children punishments, but we don't give it a timeline because we want it to feel worse? We're not going to be honest this morning. Come on. There we go. It doesn't help them. And you know what? So many of us feel like we need to give a punishment out in the moment. When we're angry, we're not able to make good decisions. It's okay to tell your children, you've made me so angry, I am unable to make a good decision. So I am going to remove myself from this situation. And after you, myself, and your father, or or myself and, and, and someone who loves Jesus maybe more than me right now, after we've had a chance to discuss this, we're going to come up with a punishment that fits this crime. That's good and okay. Because when your child doesn't do something that you want them to do, and you need to make sure that you're showing them how to do what it is that you want them to do with the punishment that you give them, it needs to fit or it doesn't work. And you need to circle back and have the conversation. Hey, you didn't get your homework done this week. So I'm taking your phone because I see you spending more time on your phone than doing homework. And I'm going to take it for one week because you didn't do one week of homework. So I get this phone back for one week now because you're going to have to do last week's homework. You know what? Frankly, it doesn't matter if the teacher grades it or not. They still had a responsibility to do it. Maybe they should do it. You have to do last week's homework and this week's homework. And then at the end of that week, they turned all their homework in hopefully. And you're like, hey, good job. Let's celebrate this moment of you coming back to doing what you should supposed to be doing. Let's celebrate this moment. Together. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you your phone back. Because I said I would take it for one week and you've met the criteria. Here's your phone back. Now, why did I take your phone? You're right. I did take your phone because you spent more time on it than doing your homework. Now that you have this responsibility back, I took the responsibility from you because I believe that you did not have the ability to handle it. I've given it back to you now. How, how are, what are you going to do different this week? And you know what? They're not going to know because they're like 12, okay? So you're going to have to help them with that part. Well, you know, buddy, there's this really cool thing on here and it'll tell you how long your screen time's been. Let's set a limit for screen time. Like, what is it, like an hour? An hour? Okay, an hour's good with me. So after an hour, you stop fooling around on, I don't know, like, I don't know what kids play on their phone, and I should, but I don't. Like, circle back, have the conversation. Don't just make it this. You can't have your keys, because, 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 because it doesn't help. Sin has consequences, and it's good for our children to understand that, and it's good for us to give them good consequences. So what are we supposed to do as Christians if we know that sin has consequences? We're supposed to, as it says in Ephesians 4, 26, we're supposed to be angry and we're supposed to not sin. We're supposed to be upset at the idea of that sin cat thing that is on our doorstep 
jumping into our heart. We're supposed to be so angry about that that we don't let it happen. Man, when me and Liz first got married, we lived at this apartment complex, and one of our neighbors thought it was such a good idea to literally just dump a whole bag of cat food behind the dumpster for all the cats that live back there. And then my buddy brought, brought his tree stand over to my house. I was showing him how to get it attached to the tree and stuff. And when I went back there, they made a whole village for these cats behind. It was so weird. They, they allowed these cats to live there. And some of us as Christians are allowing that sin to live on the doorstep of our heart. Like, well, it's not coming in, so I'm good. You're in danger. You're in danger. Be angry at the stray sin cat that sits on your doorstep. Tell it to go get somewhere. There's a passage in Scripture that says that we're supposed to even hate the garment that's stained with sin. Don't like sin. Be angry about it. And this is a really hard thing that's not in my notes, but it's a bonus. Let's do our best as a church not to be entertained by other people's sin. And I'm going to allow that to mean for you what it does. Be angry, do not sin. So we've got Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. He did it because he did not handle the sin in his heart. He did not do well. He did not convene with God. He did not worship rightly. His heart was sick. He did not handle it. God warned him. He did not handle it. So he killed his brother and his sin has consequences. If you read all of chapter four, for the next seven generations, Cain's people were decivilized. They went from farmers to wanderers. They were decivilized. They started polygamizing. The first one man with two wives is from Cain's line, and it happened after Cain's sin. They're going off like crazy. They're not following the Lord. God's not mentioned in their lineage in the rest of chapter 4. Sin has all of these consequences, and I want us to think about Eve for a moment. In that fell swoop of that death, the thing that she thought was going to bring forth God's promise died. Cain killed her brother, his brother. So not only did her second son die of physical death, but her first son probably died to her. It broke that relationship. And why wouldn't it? Can you imagine being Eve, mourning the loss of both of your sons in that way? Knowing that God promised you? Some of us in here are victims of other people's sin. Sin that they maybe thought wouldn't have any consequences. Sin that maybe they thought would not affect them. Sin that they thought maybe wasn't that big of a deal. We're in here as victims to that sin. And the question is, is like, what about God's promise? Well, let's go to the end of chapter 4, verse 25. It says this, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. She had come to terms with the fact that Cain must not be the deliverer of that promise because she's saying that God appointed another offspring instead of Abel. When Cain did that, you're like, well, it must have been Abel, but Abel's dead now. So now what? Well, God gave them, Adam and Eve, another son named Seth. Church, God's promises are more powerful than man's sin. God's promises are more powerful than man's sin. Some of us in here are victims of man's sin. Some of us in here are committers of man's sin. And we wonder, what about us? What about the promises that God has given us? And I'm here to tell you that, yes, there is a consequence for your sin, Yet, the promises that God has made to his people still stand. Yes, your sin may have modified your view of what that promise is going to look like, but God knew before Cain rose his hand to Abel that that was going to happen, and he already had Seth right there with him waiting. When you 
in the quietness of your heart, were mourning that sin that was committed against you, whatever it was. Not only was God right there mourning with you because he hates that his children experience sin, both as, as an action and as recipients of it. But he already knew how his promise for your life was going to be fulfilled. So that should encourage us there, but it should also encourage us in this. We are not able to make choices that trump God's sovereignty in our lives. When we come to a fork in the road and we're wondering, should I go left and should I go right? What our heart should really be focused on is which one of these forks is going to best allow me to honor God. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be transparent for a second. When Pastor John, I think it was Pastor Dan that actually called me and said, hey, we, we, you know, I interviewed for a little while. Like, we'd like to offer this to you. We'd like you to come down here and be a part of the Point Harbor family. Um, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Because I have this calling in my heart where I feel like God wants me to do something. And I'm like, God, how does Virginia and, and this, like, like, how does this all work out? But, but then when it came down to it, I had two choices. I could come down here and I could be at Point Harbor or I could stay in Wilmington, Delaware and not do anything, right? And, and I know what God called me to do. God called me to, to be a, a good husband and, and to have direction in my, like, the, you know, lead my family. And God called me to preach. I was only able to do both of those things at the same time by coming here. So like, I really didn't know if I was going to mess things up, but my heart was to honor the Lord. So I came here. And it has been a party ever since. And, and, if it, and if it hadn't been, I could have rested on the promise of knowing that just like in Psalms, right, where David says, I jump into the pit and you pull me up out of it, I knew that God was going to keep me safe because my heart was to honor him. So church, what are we supposed to do? This is what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to do well, be accepted. Church, chase after your relationship with God. We're supposed to know that God's promises are more powerful than man's sin. And we're supposed to look at verse, we're supposed to look at Genesis chapter 4, and we're supposed to know that's how sin works. When you're watching the news and going, how could they? You know they could because of chapter 4. And we're supposed to be able to take this and apply it to our hearts to protect ourselves and our families from the sin that is crouching at the door. I think there are two different kinds of people in the room this morning. I think some of us in here have allowed sin to crouch at the door and we're playing with it. That sin cat that sits at the door, we're like feeding it and we're like petting it. Like, well, it's not coming in my heart, so we're good. Like, you're friends with that thing, man. Stop it. Tell it to get somewhere. Go to the Lord in prayer and say, God, this sin is crouching at my door and I need you to evict it. Because sin is right around the corner, people. What are we doing to make sure that our hearts are right with the Lord? And I think there's another type of person in here. Maybe someone who hasn't met Jesus yet. These truths apply to you as well. Sin, anything wrong that you could ever do, is crouching at the door of your heart waiting to strike and the only thing you can do to overwhelm it and to overrule it and to be in charge of these things that you don't want to do anymore is to accept Jesus as your Savior. Let him into your heart and have him be the protector of your heart's doormat and not you. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning, church. Christian, I want to start with you. If you're in this room this morning and you feel like you've, you've been playing with sin and you're not doing it, you're not doing it, but like you've not served it. It's eviction notice yet. In the quietness of your heart, I just ask you to do this. I ask you in the quietness of your heart right now, use this time to pray to the Lord and ask him to help you evict that sin. Ask him to help you to evict that sin. God, take, take every thought captive. God, clean my heart. Make my hands clean. Psalm 51, we see David doing this after he goes into Bathsheba. He asks the Lord to clean his hands and clean his heart. And then he gets excited because he knows that God is going to use this moment. So Christian, in the quietness of your heart, ask the Lord, please take this sin from me. 
And to the non-Christian, if you're in here and you would not say, yes, I've accepted Jesus into my life. Someone dragged me here. I came because I was curious, whatever it is. Won't you let me introduce you to my Jesus this morning? My Jesus, the Jesus that we're all in here worshiping. In my sin and in my shame and in my own stupidity, he reached in there and he helped me evict sin from my heart. Not that it doesn't still come back, but he helps me to evict it daily. Whenever I go to him and ask him to evict it, he has been faithful to do so. And there are some things in my life that I was strangled by and I was beholden to that I can say no to now. Without my faith in the Lord, I would not be a good husband. I would not be a good father. And being up here would be really not anything I could do either. If you're in here this morning and you're hurting and you've got, you've got this habit or this hang-up or you've got this brokenness or this anxiety or this whatever in your heart, you just need, you just like, I just need something, won't you let me introduce Jesus to you this morning? You know, Scripture says that to accept Jesus, all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And the reason that that works is because Jesus, fully God, came down to earth to be fully God and fully man, and he lived with us a sinless life he lived with us, experiencing the same temptations as you and I. And then he died, and he died so that, like the Bible says, the wages of sin are death. He died that death for us. And because he was perfect, it worked for all of us in all and of our sin. You know what? He didn't just die because anyone can die. He died, and then he rose again on the third day and lived with us. And then he ascended to heaven where he has promised to come back to take us all to heaven and to fix this mess on earth. That's the gospel. And that's what he's done for you and me. And non-Christian in the room, if you want to accept Jesus, you can this morning. The first thing you do is believe in your heart that he's Lord. If you believe in your heart that he is Lord, the Bible says that you are saved. And the second piece to that is to confess with your mouth. And I'm going to pray. And this prayer isn't going to save you because it's just a prayer. But it helps us confess with our mouth. It gives us the words. If you believe that in your heart, won't you pray this quietly in your seat? Pray this, Lord, I need you. Lord, I know that I am a sinner. Lord, would you evict this sin from my heart? Will you make me born again in you? I need you, Lord. Now, if you've prayed that, I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. And we want to know that you've accepted that. I mean, like, that, like that's awesome. Like God's, like the angels in heaven are having a party right now because you've accepted Christ. When you do this, everyone's eyes are bowed and closed and you've got privacy in the room this morning. Would you raise your hand real quick for us? If you've accepted Christ this morning, would you pop your hand up so we can have record of it and we can accept that? Thank you, I see that hand. Let's pray this morning, Point Harbor. God, we love you, we need you. We are desperate for your work here. God, I pray that you would bless this time, bless this week. And God, for those of us that have accepted you for the first time, God, I pray that you would allow us to run to you and help us evict that sin out of our heart. God, we pray this in your name. Amen.